Learn how to build a better sign and print shop from a few crusty sign guys who've made more mistakes than they care to admit. Conversations and advice on pricing, sales, marketing, workflow, growth, and more. You're listening to the Better Sign Shop Podcast with your hosts, Peter Kurunis, Michael Riley, and Bryant Gillespie. All right, guys, so we're here. We've got the third edition of the Better Sign Shop Podcast. Hi, Mike. Hi, Peter. Nice to have you guys. Hey, Brian. Nice nice to be back. Nice to be back, Brian. How are you doing? Yeah, I finally made it back from vacation. We were on the road, it felt like, for two days. I don't think it was quite that long, but man, what a time. I could tell you lots of stories about being in a confined space with six women. Not fun. <laughs> I feel your pain. I just had family descend on our house this weekend with four teenage girls in tow and... Ooh. If I had any hair left on my head, it's probably gone by now. It's been a I, long one. Wow. My kids pull out my hair. and it, I'm rocking the long hair now. It's a <laughs> easy prey, I think. I just pull my own out. And, and we got Peter got back from the hospital or you know, the sickness. Glad you're feeling better, Peter. Thank you. Thank you. The voice is here. The breathing is good. Ready to rock. Oh, and two levels are high. Oh, two levels are good. That's great. You guys are never going to believe this. You guys are never going to believe this. I, this is breaking news here for me. Very wow, a wow moment for me. A wow moment for me. I'm, I'm um, I, I was just sent. I was just sent a gift by a gentleman who is uh, wow. I'm so sorry. I'm so taken back by this. Okay, I was just sent a gift, and I thought it was an Amazon box. So I've opened it uh, randomly, thinking it was like one of my random Amazon purchases, but no, it was a gift sent to me by a, a former employee of mine. His name is Pablo Torres. So shout out to you, Pablo. And he just published his first graphic design book called Visual Identity. Here it is right here. And uh, he gave me a note here and he said, read the third page, which is a, he thanks me as being his primary mental for writing this book. Hmm. That's pretty cool. He, he mentions me here in the spine of his book here. I didn't think I'd ever expect that. I'm actually <laughs> like really taken back by this right now. I'm almost going to cry here, but uh, yeah. So that's, I'm going to read this book, Vi visual identity by Pablo Torres. Go get it. Little plug for him here. Go get it on Amazon. The great graphic yeah. design book for those graphic designers out there. Yeah. Little story about Pablo Torres. 2011, he was an employee of mine. He was a graphic designer coming out of college. English was his second language. And uh, I taught him how to be a designer in the sign business and gives me a lot of credit for that in his book. Yeah, that's quite exciting for me. And so that's a first. I'm actually- So is that book like specifically yeah. about sign design or it's a is it yeah, more it's like a, a general graphic design book? It's about business visual identity in terms of what sign shops can and graphic design shops can do for your business. That's really awesome. We'll put a link to that book up on the website. The show notes, if we could ever figure out the show notes. <laughs> I think we've had two wow. episodes so far, no show notes. So we'll get that figured out so we can promote Pablo for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we'll, awesome. Everybody buy Pablo's book. Ever go, everybody go buy Pablo Torres' book, Visual Identity. 
on Amazon. Okay. I think we should try to get Pablo on the show someday. He'd be be a great guest. Let me see if I can make that happen. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, for the new listeners, uh, this thing has taken off a little bit. How about we take a minute to introduce ourselves? Mike, sign money. You go first. (laughs) Sign money, sign bunny. My name is Mike. Riley, in the sign industry for about 24, 25 years or so now. Used to own a decent-sized sign company and sold it about seven or eight years ago and moved across the country to the West Coast, and now I live in Oregon. And I renovate my house and design signs for other sign companies now in my pajamas. So life is good in Oregon. Tim the Toolman Taylor over here. All right, Peter. Yep. Spill the bio for everybody. Yep. My name is Peter Karunas, and I am a graphic designer by trade. I have a unlimited graphic design company as well, and I also own a Fast Signs franchise. I'm the only sign shop owner of the three of us, so that is <laughs> that is that seems to be the, the adage here in this group here. But I bring a lot at the table to, from a standpoint of business coaching, marketing expertise. And various different levels of systematic approaches that sign shop owners should follow here. Coming from a franchise model, having developed a franchise within the sign industry, it's I'm very passionate about following a process, being systematic with your business, and ultimately helping you lead to growing and scaling your business. Excellent. Maybe we should, next time we should do the introductions for each other. I think that would be fun. But uh, yeah. I'm Bryant, the founder of Better Sign Shop. I have been in the sign industry for X number of years, like a number of years. I don't know how long it is, like 17 maybe. I've got three rotten little girls that pull out my long hair, and I feel like by next year I might look like Mike by the time we get done here. But uh, when I'm not messing with them or getting ran over by the girls, I'm helping everybody improve their systems processes, whatever. Hey, will you guys give me like one second since we're going to edit this out? I'm, I'm really no, sorry. We're going to leave this. Something. My cat shit on my desk. I think we'd leave that in. Yeah. I don't think, he, I don't think you guys leave, please leave that in. All right. So today's topic guys is growing paints, which could mean a lot of things, but in the course of today, it is when your shop is scaling from, let's say, 250,000 or a handful of employees to 20 employees or 30 employees, and what kind of impact that has on the business. Yeah, we touched on this a little bit, I think, in our first episode, actually, about particularly about growing too fast and taking every job that walks in the door and how you can really damage your reputation or even put yourself out of business if you grow without any sort of guardrails on that growth without managing it. And I've definitely seen a lot of businesses, not just in the sign industry, but businesses in general, my former customers, that they grew way too fast, way too quickly, and experienced some serious growing pains because of that. And it's a real rock and hard place that you're stuck between traditional business mentality is grow or die. So I think as entrepreneurs, it's hard to turn away any work, especially where you're in that growth phase where you're trying to go to the next level. And it's easy to get caught with your pants down. For sure. When you're small, I think you you do have that mentality of, hey, this job is coming through the door. I just walked right in. Uh-huh. And often you, you do walk-ins. So 
hey, this $200 job or this $50 job came through the door, I'm going to take it. We're going to do it. Yeah, it's terrifying to, to think about turning away money. You're trying to eat, you're trying to pay the bills. And, and if you have employees at that point, you're trying to pay them as well and not have your payroll check balance. So it's definitely an intimidating spot to be in for sure. And I think knowing when to say yes and when to say no is probably one of the most essential tools in a small business owner's tool belt. It's actually interesting that you say that. I actually think that's the pivotal point for when somebody realizes that they need to grow. That statement right there is that if they are knowledgeable to the to to a point where they can say no, they've reached a certain mm-hmm. portion of their entrepreneurial lifestyle where they value their time over the dollar. Right. right. So that kind of lends itself to a certain growth spurt in entrepreneurship. I remember taking every single order that came in the door too. But at a certain point, you have to realize that I think a lot of small business owners out there, some small shop owners, I'll take the I'll take your logic, like they need to make that payroll check. And a lot of them use that barometer, right? As a barometer. I need to do five thousand dollars to make payroll this week. So I need to take every dollar I can. And I've spoken to several business owners that operate that way. And typically when you have that mindset, it lends itself to a, to, per, to a, such a small scale business, right? It's act, which it might be actually even harder to run than a larger scale business. When you're relying on that next order to pay your bills, nothing is more stressful and more pressure packed than that, than that piece right there. Growth comes in many different forms, but in my opinion, just what you said, if they can get to that level where they can say no, that means that they've already surpassed that portion of that pressure-packed decision that they need to make. Right. Or even if they haven't necessarily gotten to that point yet, if they just – everybody goes into business with a vision in their head of what they want their company to look like and an ideal type of customer or an ideal type of job or work they want to do. And it's really easy to just abandon that vision too when somebody's waving money in your face as well. So not just controlling growth from a financial standpoint, but also controlling the direction of your company and the, if you're taking every job that comes in your door just to make ends meet and pay the bills, that might not align with the vision of the long-term vision you have for your business. And as you emerge from that growth period, you very well could be in a different business than you, you started out in if you're not careful as well. And I've seen that happen to a lot of people. It even happened to me to, to one degree. That was going to be my next question, man. It was What was the vision when you started and where did you end up? For me, I started out wanting to make really high-end hand-carved, dimensional, gold leaf, sandblasted, the kind of stuff in New England in a coastal touristy town, right? Like just picture high-end signage in a Rust Belt city in Ohio that's hard to sell. <laughs> The market for it isn't huge, right? And you know, a few years into my business, uh, after starting my business, I guess seven or eight years after starting my business, the economy really took a nosedive. The financial crash in 2008, 2009 definitely upended the business environment, I think, everywhere, not just in, in Dayton, Ohio. Across the, uh, across the board, yeah, absolutely. So all of a sudden, nobody was buying gold leaf hand-carved signs they were buying going out of business banners so on one i mean on one hand it's smart business to pivot when the business environment drastically changes like that because that's a case where either you adapt or you die it's not necessarily like a grow or die thing but you do abandon your vision and for me like we came out of the recession as a more of a wide format grand format type operation and we really weren't doing very many signs at all after that i mean we definitely moved in a different direction and in hindsight looking back like I think that was the right business decision to pivot 
and go where the market was demanding that we go. And we came out of it a very strong company and we saw a lot of competitors drop like flies, but it wasn't what I started out wanting to do. And my satisfaction with the business definitely took a nosedive as well because we were no longer doing the types of signs that I wanted to do. We were meeting the market demand, which I think mentally takes a toll on a business owner too. If you're cranking out work that you just don't want to do, you don't enjoy doing profitable or not. I think that's one of the trade-offs that you have to make in this industry though, as well Mm -hmm. as you you get some of these really nice projects that you enjoy doing. And then you get uh, 10 times as many banners Mm -hmm. or crappy projects that you just, they pay the bills. Absolutely. That that next hit. But I I think a lot of people are, I think a lot of people are really lucky just in their geographical location where they're in a place where their market, their local market supports whatever type of signage they want to do. And other people like me, like my market just didn't support it. I hear a lot of people say, you can sell any type of sign anywhere. It's just the way you sell it. And I don't really buy that. That's not necessarily true. I mean, there are business markets that just aren't going to buy certain types of signage, no matter how well you spin it. Or at least they're not going to, the market isn't big enough to actually support anybody other than a one person operation working out of their garage or something. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I mean, in Dayton, Ohio, you, you can't run a large sign company making just gold leaf signs. It's just not going to happen. Where like you could if you were in Cape Cod or something, yeah. right? So there's a bit of a self-betrayal that goes into growth as well. Like you have to put your personal wants and needs and visions for the business, not necessarily in the back burner, but you've got to give them sp- space to exist with the reality of business. And managing that is just as difficult as managing growth, I think, and yeah, it's tough. What's yeah. for me anyway? My journey into signage was really, and we've talked about this before, but it was really just, hey, I can actually get paid to make cool shit for people. And that was, right. for a long time, that was enough. So, I, and as you do keep going in the industry, like you get a little more jaded and one day you wake up and you're doing nothing but yard signs all day on a CET flatbed printer that you despise. But mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I, I feel like it's, it's definitely a journey. And I kind of look at it as you're, when you're growing, like you're first starting out, you're growing, you hit that period, like you're coming up to the top of the hill and you, you think, oh, hey, this is what's going to be over the hill. And I know where we want to go at this point in time. But when you get to that hill point where you're like something like I could see it now, it's uh, you have definitely a different perspective than what you have when you started, which I feel like listening to you talk about the different type of signs that you did or didn't want to do, obviously that's in hindsight, but in the moment, in the fog, it's hard to know exactly which way to go. And just trying to, to shove some of those feelings down of, Hey, I don't, I really, I don't want to do this sign, but. But I feel like I have to, cause I, I want to make payroll this week. Yeah, or hey, I, I don't want to add three more employees to the business, but hey, I have to manage this growth or I have to buy this equipment or it, it doesn't have to be taking on that particular job. It could be any one of those things that you do to grow or to support the growth that you're experiencing. Right, right. And I, I think the flip side to it too, that a lot of people don't consider when they're thinking about growth as well is, are you as a business owner actually benefiting from that growth? The business may benefit from the growth theoretically, more revenue, more employees, more customers. But as a business owner, is that growth actually buying you the lifestyle that you want? Because we get into the industry because we want to make cool shit, like you said, but the reality is we get in the industry because we want to make money. It's a means to an end. Are you actually enjoying more of a free 
lifestyle? Are you happy in your life? Are you making more money as you grow? Or are you just adding more stress and not really making any more money or taking taking any more time off or vacation? And that's a and that's a trap that I fell into in, in a lot of people as they're going through the growth phase oh, yeah. experience as well. Like I've, I've tripled my revenue, but my paycheck is exactly the same, and I'm actually I actually lost a week of paid vacation because I'm so busy now. And that's I think that's where unmanaged growth starts to really bite you in the ass is when you step back and realize, oh, we're big and we're busy and we're dollar signs are there, but my life hasn't improved any, or if anything, it's gone backwards a little bit. I'm more stressed out than I was before. So I think evaluating your growth strategy and where you want to go with the company from a very critical eye and really determining how much do you want to grow, how big do you want to get, and how is that going to mesh with your desired exit strategy, lifestyle, lifestyle. Yeah. whatever, right? And nobody thinks about that. Oh, I own a business. That's cool. I can do whatever I want. No, that's not how it works at all. You're the slave to the business. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, this intersection of growth and ownership and what it means for lifestyle, work-life balance, we've talked about it on some of our mastermind calls, but we've got a guest today on the podcast. We've got Luke Mashad. Is it, I don't think I've ever said your last name, dude. Misho. Misho. Silent. Yeah. I hate butchering people's last names. <laughs> so we got Luke I... Misho with us from SignTech in British Columbia. Luke is one of the owners of a growing shop, and he's going to join us today to talk about some of their experiences with rapid growth in the company. Welcome aboard, Luke. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Welcome, Luke. We're excited you're here. Yeah, me too. Just so we're clear, this is not a swear-free zone. You can swear, <laughs> safe space, no censorship. I know I've probably set a precedent, but I don't actually always need to swear. But like, sometimes I do. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, it's a necessity in the sign industry. Like you're not a true sign guy unless you just let it fly when you gotta let it fly. Like it's yeah, just you gotta release the tension somehow. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Give us a little bit about your shop, Luke. So Mike was talking earlier about 2008, 2009, and that's really, it's not, our company started in 2005, but of course, like everybody else, 2008 to 2012 or so was challenging period. And at the time I actually just worked for the company. I started working with my partner just as an employee in 2008. In 2012, I was having a casual conversation with the bookkeeper and my business partner at the time thought we were breaking even, but we were actually losing money, but nobody really realized that until this casual conversation with the bookkeeper happened. And I said, ah, at least we're breaking even. She's like, oh, we're not breaking even. Oh, jeez. Let this Trav know that? And she's like, oh, I don't know. It never really clued into, she was doing her job and to be fair to her, like her job is not to manage the money. Her, her job is to make sure everything. The bookkeeping was done. Line yeah. Down to the penny, right? That's so anyway, we sat down and grilled her for three days straight, discovered we were losing a little bit of money every month. And that had been compounding month over month for three years, three or four years. At the time we were just a small little hole in the wall. So it wasn't like a insurmountable number. And in the looking back, it looks a little bit silly, but we we're in the hole. And that's when I came aboard. Cause I was doing my own thing on the side and we decided to put our efforts together and trying to make sign tech work. So. From that point in time, 2012 until now, we've averaged about 25% year over year growth every year. That's a lot. 
Yeah. And it's all of that growth has been natural growth. Like we don't do advertising. We don't have outside sales reps even, at least not anymore. So that's just business that's coming at us, right? Uh, because of our position in the marketplace and we try to take care of people and stand behind our work. And it's just the way that it's come at us. And when you're seeing that sort of growth, when you're a $350,000 shop, that's something you can control. And it's not like earth shattering year over year, but the bigger and bigger we get, we're about probably eight, eight times the revenue, seven or eight times the revenue that we were 10 years ago. And now year over year, basically, if you're doing 2 million a year and you see a 25% increase, that's a $500,000 jump. Yeah. That's a lot more. Dollar you're like, right. As we're basically what we're discovering now is that the bigger and bigger you get, if you don't have things under control, like truly under control, you start to hit a lot of uh, roadblocks and challenges and all your problems, I think become, I don't know if exposed is the right word, but maybe magnified, right? Everything matters more when you're, everything's such a huge scale. Yeah. What are some of those roadblocks that you guys are running into now? So big ones are training. Like we don't really have a proper training system in place, much like most shops. And again, when you're going through this growth every year, all the time, you're just constantly busy. So you're plugging people into holes and you're throwing them to the wolves <laughs> for the most part. This I is... think that's every side shop's training program. <laughs> like it's yeah. just a sheet of paper. Hey, jump in. Yeah. You're like, here's the laminator and you show them how to load a roll twice. And then you leave them in the room because you got other stuff to go do, right? Yep. And of course, by the trial and error, they're going to mess Figure up it out. roll after roll or yard after yard of fucked up jobs that need to jump right back on the printer because we're at square one again. And, you know, it's there's not much else you can do in the moment. Probably five years ago, we should have been much more on top of getting those pieces of the puzzle in the place so that staff can be trained and that there's a proper workflow and structure in place so that everybody knows what to do in any given situation and work in the middle of building all that. But again, the industry is so varied, like Mike's talking about, you can do gold leaf sandblasted stuff, or you can be making hard hat deck. Those are two vastly different worlds. And there's a lot of information to put together and in order to train people. We're in a geographic area that... Yeah, tell us more about the area that you guys are in because so, you guys are in a yeah. unique situation there, I think. So we're in Canada, first of all, which just naturally there's oh, just... space between all the main cities, right? But we are... So we're a 100,000 population city, Prince George, and it acts as the main hub for Northern British Columbia. So we service as far as eight hours away west, smaller communities out towards the coast, and about three three hours south and we're not i guess a little bit about three hours east as well and not so much north if we really wanted to we could probably pursue up there but there's a bit more competition up north so we have a central hub and it's a pretty large geographic area here to drive from williams lake to terrace that's 11 or 12 hours well that's a lot of so, ground to cover for sure yeah and being geographically isolated like that too at least previously now we might maybe have the benefit of being able to pick and choose work a little bit more. And we're figuring that out and evaluating that, if that makes sense. But really up until this point, we really had no option, but to do a little bit of everything. Right. So the guy who comes in and wants a lawn sign, we're taking care of that guy. And the guy who wants to wrap his vehicle, you're taking care of that guy. And the people that need commercial window tint, we're doing that. And 
channel letters. So it's a very broad spectrum. Yeah. I think when you're doing that much work or that, that scope of work or that breadth of work, I guess you could say, it's really hard to be really good at all of it. So it's just, Hey, we're getting the job done, but it's like some of those jobs are a struggle. Yeah, for sure. And the other thing we're experiencing now is we've got all these people, me and my business partner have all the information in our heads and we know all those variables and what does just a simple logo decal on a truck need to be right materials, how you're setting up your cut line. So it's easier to weed what size of text is too small. What's going to have the most impact all the way from that type of job, all the way up to one of us is responsible for understanding all the ins and outs of a monument sign, right? Which is a vastly different thing. So we have to get all this information somehow out of our heads in a way that our staff can access it and learn it and not rely on us to be the ones that are the gatekeepers of the knowledge, I guess. Yeah. What is it? Tell us a little about your staff, Luke. So we've got, I believe, 21 staff right now. We acquired, I guess the other thing I should say, yeah, we acquired a company. Our main competition approached us in the fall and asked us to make them disappear to which we kindly obliged. I love so brought, that, man. That's a great way to put it. It's hard to say no when your main competition says, Hey, why don't you make us disappear? And so we were able to definitely benefit from that. And the biggest, one of the biggest pieces that was part of that deal that we wanted was really the staff. Cause as everybody probably listening to this podcast knows, trying to find good experienced staff in the industry is a unicorn, right? So we brought five people over there, but then we, the company we acquired was doing about 60% of the numbers that we were. So you're potentially talking a 60% jump overnight in, in volume, which five people couldn't accurately cover for us. So we're in this spot where we've overhired in order to hopefully build out all the structure in the back end and get everything in place so that six months, a year, two years from now. The crew that we have here can hopefully do significantly higher numbers without having to plug in many more bodies, if any at all. What was the question? Did I answer the question? Yeah, yeah. Great. Yeah, you did great. No, we were just asking about the staff, just trying to... Oh, yeah, staff. It, it, it paid the picture of all the different pieces of the business. Okay, so we got, we've got four production guys. I've got three full-time installers. I've got three designers. I've got one pre-flight body who basically is almost exclusively dedicated to getting everything set up for rip and the cutters. We've got uh, me and my business partner, a bookkeeper, three quoting staff and currently one CSR, but we're trying to get another one to get her some help. And then we have a little specialized division where we do the local work for Pattison outdoor advertising up here. So changing out billboards and stuff. So I've got one, one body dedicated for that. Wait, you get ready to say something Mike? Jesus. I'm just messing with my microphone. Just please. <laughs> For all of our listeners, I got a new microphone and I can't get used to having this thing right in my face. So I'm fidgeting with it. We'll probably cut that out. I Yeah, we missed the uh, the bag of chips from the last call with Peter. Where he's, Peter's got the opposite of Mike's microphone. Where <laughs> if you could put it in the next room and you could hear a mouse fart was that is that what you said the other day <laughs> yeah yes, the opposite. I, I think that's a pretty good a picture of your business luke and I, I, thanks for sharing that with us what's what questions do you guys have for luke let's start them out with something easy maybe then we'll give him like a hard one throw him a softball mike i know you've got some luke <laughs> 
what is your growth strategy, man? How do you, what is your plan for growth? What are you trying to, to do? Where are you trying to go with the company? I know you, you touched on that a little bit, but kind of expand a little bit on it. Where are your, what's your five year and 10 year plan or goal for growth? Yeah. We don't have anything formalized per se, but I think both me and my partner, our, our goal is to not retract ourselves from the business, but probably step back a bit. Maybe we can do, put in some four day weeks and manage and control a little bit more so than doing the work if that makes sense. Sure. How do you plan on achieving that? Yeah. So essentially we, I think we've known for a long time that SOPs and training as well as maybe some additional structures like employee handbooks or things along these lines that again, can get all the information out of our heads and be readily accessible for anybody who needs it in any moment, as well as having a front end onboarding kind of training program. And of course you can't learn everything in the industry by doing some modules online, right? Like it's just too complex and you need to get your hands on to really truly understand, but really feel like getting somebody set up and having some foundational knowledge and understanding, you know, what each piece of equipment is for and how it works and some of the basic understanding and knowledge before you even get them on the table or in mm -hmm. the production. Right. So that's what we're working on right now. And we feel like that'll help alleviate us from having to, because what happens, you end up, your staff ends up being leashed to you, right? Is you can send them away to work on something, but they have to come back and ask you for clarification or approval or material recommendations or whatever the case may be. And when you've got 20 people coming at you from six different angles all day. That's stressful. Anything problems mm -hmm. What about from a product standpoint? I know you said you guys are a jack of all trades when it comes to signage right now, because you're in a smaller market. So you have to serve all the needs there as part of your growth strategy. Do you see pairing back your product offering to more of a core, a core set of products or play to your core strengths? Or do you intend to continue to expand on that offering everything to be the one source for all your customers? I think we're trying to figure that out right now. Cause it's, again, the workload is like forcing change, you know, that 25% every time you turn around, I often say, I don't say this to everybody, but you always get the, oh, we're so busy and everybody says, oh, that's a good problem to have, but it's almost not like, I almost <laughs> wish, and I've said to my business partner and other people, I just wish that two years in a row, we could do the same numbers two years in a row. So you could really get a handle on like where things are at and what you probably need to implement to handle the workload that you're at that next year, you could actually work on all that stuff and implement at least some of it. Right. But I feel like right now there's 25% growth. And then you think you got a bunch of stuff figured out. And then the next year, 25 more percent happens and you need to reevaluate everything again, because you were never able to implement anything. So what would happen if you guys just started saying no to certain types of work? Like you're some of your this more kind of going back to the same question. We're going through that right now. We're trying to figure out how do we adjust what we're doing and what we're learning. We ran some numbers and figured out that, so we've got 310 active jobs in our system right now. And we ran some numbers. Turns out that 80% of those active jobs are $250 or less. And the really shocking number is when you run that total up all those 80% of the jobs, like volume of jobs, they actually only account for 11 or 14% of the revenue. Like I can't remember, but it was under 15. So basically 80% of your time is spent on 20% of your customers. 
Yeah, like for us, right. less than 20%, right? And it's, you guys know, if you're working in Shopbox or whatever CRM you're on, like how much extra time does a job that's $10,000 take to enter an input and get all your details into the system than a $300 partial vehicle graphic, right? The front end time to, to get all that information, qualify the customer, get it into the system, have the designer look at it, do the work, send the proof. You're really not spending that much less time on this little tiny job than you are on this volume or like large revenue job, right? Agreed. Yeah. I feel like so many people leave out that when they start running the numbers, like you got to factor in that time of <clears throat> how long is it going to take to get the order in, get it processed, get it onto production. And so many people leave that out of the process when they're either calculating pricing or even just looking at growth and staffing needs. Yeah. And so we're looking at it, like how much time or am I like, I've got these people that I'm paying to quote and me and my business partner quote, I actually pulled myself completely out of quoting a couple of weeks ago, just to work on system stuff. By the way, I forgot earlier, I do have one staff member who's solely dedicated to working on that, that backend stuff with me. So we can hopefully actually make some progress, but we've got this quoting team that we're paying and me and my business partner, were talking and it's, does it even make sense to have these bodies? So the talk is, how do you manage it? Do you assign one person to do jobs that are $500 or less, but then on a, and you're like, okay, well then at least those jobs are getting taken care of and somebody's on it. Right. But the bigger question is, does it even make sense to allocate a person to those jobs or does it make sense to try and not get those jobs in the first place so that those same three bodies, instead of having two bodies to focus on the bigger stuff, you could have all three bodies being focused on generally larger work because if the smaller stuff only counts for 15% of your revenue and you have 20 staff really shouldn't be allocating more than two bodies right to take care of that work right I'd be curious to know of that 15% of your business that's the small nickel and dime work how much of that at some point becomes larger either becomes a larger customer or becomes a larger job or through repeat work or yeah. is just a small job that a larger customer in the grand scheme of things is larger customers is spending with you. Yeah. I think of, I always prefer to rank customers that way. Instead of ranking each individual opportunity that comes through the door, look at it on like the customer level, because obviously like it adds up at the end of the day. And it, if it's like a lot of small repeat orders for stuff that you've already got the R word for, why not? Uh, yeah. As mm -hmm. long as it's profitable. I think in that case, it becomes more of a way how you manage it versus whether or not this is the right customer, right fit for you or the right product for you to sell. Of The majority of the larger sign companies that I have experience with, I'm talking 2 million plus in revenue, they all break out their work in that way, the way you're talking about where you've got like a, whether it's a workflow or a process or an actual physical department that handles that small nickel and dime work or just all the vinyl stuff or whatever it may be. And they have a separate kind of expedited, simpler, more efficient workflow. There's a dedicated project manager to all those jobs. They don't break out the sales front end of it where your sales reps, whether they're selling vinyl door hours or they're selling a $200,000 pylon sign, they're still selling the job. Who they hand it off to is where the change is. If it's a small vinyl job, they hand it off to the, like, the retail department manager, project manager. And then there's a small dedicated team of staff that just cranks all that work all day long and allows the rest of the shop to focus on the high dollar stuff. And that way you're not just getting rid of customers that 
even though the order is small, the customer themselves might not necessarily be an unprofitable customer that you want to lose. It just is a better way of managing their work coming through that doesn't pollute the the workflow for the large high dollar jobs. It's it seems to be the industry standard way of setting it up when you get to that point. It definitely is effective. And in my experience it works extremely well. That's that all works as long as the customer's willing to wait. Because that's the other factor is time, right? So because, you know, it seems like a lot of these small jobs are the ones that need to happen right now, right? So it, if the equipment's running, am I going to prioritize that small stuff over the big stuff just because it's small and we can do it efficiently, but you're not really doing it efficiently? Because kind of what, I think what's happened with us at least, and I don't, basically all the signs point to what's happening is that, or has been happening, which we're trying to stop is that small jobs come in and they're small and they're simple and they're easy. So you feel like this can happen right now, right? Cause it's small and it's simple and it's easy. And you end up churning all the small front end work. So you've got something that came in on Tuesday that's done by Friday or even the following Tuesday, but then you've got other jobs in the system that are bigger. They're $2,000. They're really not any more complicated. They're just bigger. So say a vehicle wrap or a wall mural, that's no different than making a hard hat deck in terms of time on the printer other than slightly longer print time, right? But that wall mural is sitting there for three weeks. And meanwhile, we've done 78 little $200 jobs. Where's the bottleneck there? Is it in the front end, like the sales and quoting side of it, or is it the design side or production where are things getting clogged it's clogging in design for sure but uh, not really on the small stuff because we did put one specific designer on that small stuff but the production team like it's tricky everybody's really green in there and because of our lack of structure we did have some structure and the body that i moved over into the developer role he's very like analytical and similar to me he'll look at the root and the back end and understand the efficiency map even if it was just in his head right so he understands, okay, I'm going to laminate the stuff and then I'm going to put it on the cutter. And while the machine's cutting it, I'm going to go meet or mask this other stuff, right? Whereas this new crew, they're not quite like analyzing things that way. And because we don't have the structure in there, they're wrecking a lot of stuff and they're working fairly inefficiently. It's a compounding issue, to be honest with you. There's little stuff everywhere that it, it all stacks on top of each other to make a big problem. All right. So I have a question for you. At your sales volume, I'm guessing that this is this type of work accounts for what two hundred, two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year in revenue, roughly. Yep. As a round number. Yep. What if you set up a sign shop within your sign shop for that work only, where you have a dedicated plotter, maybe the designer for that work? Your these types of small, short run, or quick turn jobs don't even go to your main art department. You've got a designer dedicated to that and they wear the designer slash project manager hat for that type of work and they run the plotter maybe you even have a or 250 grand a year in revenue i mean you can justify buying a twenty thousand dollar printer and a, another ten thousand dollar plotter the 30 40 grand in equipment and you've got a dedicated department that doesn't bog down the rest of your work you know what i mean like at my shop i didn't really quite go to that level at my shop but i definitely had a printer dedicated to short-term work or quick-term work where you only run the fast rush jobs on this plotter or on this printer and nothing else. And it's always sitting there dedicated, waiting and ready for those types of jobs to come through. And they came through all the time. And that allowed us to, I didn't have to worry then about where am I going to squeeze this rush job on? I know I've got the capacity because that printer is sitting there waiting for it. And it's not going to interrupt a $30,000 job while I print a $200 sticker job. 
Yeah. And I've seen a lot of shops go to that level too. Like I said, I mean, the, the best way to describe it is a sign shop within the sign shop or you create, uh, you become a customer, your main business becomes a customer of this little sign shop, I guess, for lack of a better term. Is that, would that be a possibility for you guys to, to structure that way? That would allow you to physically separate out that work on the shop floor from high dollar work? Or is that, there's a lot of logistics that go into that, obviously. Yeah, I don't think it would necessarily be impossible. The, we do have a second printer that I don't even have set up right now from the acquisition, um, which also happens to be a latex, which kind of caters to that type of Yeah, thing. there you go. I mean, instantly dry. I mean, you can turn it uh, So yeah, you could maybe set it up where you had essentially just a sales, dedicated sales for that type of person. And then maybe you just had an old school, like back in the day body when me or Travis did everything, just have one body that took care of project management, design, production, install. And that guy's just like the guy for that. But even that's a little bit tricky. Just the thing I'm wondering about is like, you have, you asked the question earlier and I don't think I answered it is there are lots of clients. Like we do work for finning and we do work for Canfor, which is a huge pulp and sawmill. I don't, I don't know if you guys have Canfor down in the States. There's probably a little bit, but basically provide huge amounts of pulp and lumber to the world. So they're a huge client, but we're generally doing, at least right now, smaller orders for them, right? So there are situations where there's larger clients where it still might not make sense to put it through that separate workflow, but it could maybe work. I don't think it would matter what the size of the actual client is. If they're a massive major corporation or whether they're a mom and pop shop, I mean, I think that the linear there should really more be the size of that job they're giving you at the end of the day, it's work and it's going to be right. built through the same company regardless. It's just dividing out the production so it doesn't bug down the other flows. Right. Yeah, you're just treating them different on the front end of things. And they would never even know it was happening. Like the customer doesn't need to know that's the case or the way it's set up. They just know they're getting their shit faster. Yeah, for sure. Do you get any pushback on your pricing, Luke? Especially for these smaller jobs? The smaller jobs, you sometimes can, but uh, we've recently decided, particularly the other conversation that's actually happening internally with my business partner, is what if we don't do, what if we just go straight B2B and we don't do any people off the street work, right? Could be something that would help because it tends to be a lot of that personal stuff is smaller stuff, right? And you just, just couldn't put it out that way. That was a policy that I enacted in my shop. I, we just had a strict, if you're not a business, we won't do work with you. We'll refer you away. Yeah. Um, and I always made sure I had a book of good referrals for these people, right? Like I, I didn't want to just kick them to the curb and tell them you're out of luck, but that makes a big difference. I, we all know that if you're working for the individual who wants a sticker for his car, I mean, he's, he's going to drive you nuts on that because they want it to be perfect and they're going to be picky and they don't know what they want. And that's a and huge it, bottleneck. It still has to be under a hundred bucks. Right. And they want it cheap too. I mean, yeah. And that's just the yeah. nature of working for the general public yeah. or business owners generally. I mean, this is an obvious so We don't have rule. a formal policy, but uh, what we've done recently is we've just started quoting those jobs like stupid high. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, that's a good way to do it. One of the things that, that, yeah, one of the things that worked for us in the old shop was just it like shut the door. It's appointment only. If you've got somebody who can, you can either shift that to, or especially if you guys are bottlenecked in production, shutting the door and walking away from that type of work. If they can't get in, they can't bother you. I'm a big proponent of that as well, because I don't care what size your shop is. There is absolutely nobody on this planet who needs a channel letter sign right this second. It's a long-term project. You don't knock them out overnight. It takes a while. There's a lot of hoops to jump through. It's no matter what that customer thinks, it's not a rush. If their hair is not on fire, they don't need to walk in your door and talk to you about that right this second. They just don't. And it's going to be an interruption to your business. Set an appointment. Talk to them about it. 
clear some time to do it right. And the larger you get, the less walk-in business is critical to your success. People just don't walk in up the street and say, hey, I need a $200,000 pylon sign and I need it right now. That happens at Fast Signs. <laughs> I Man, didn't say lay this time, off. Peter. Lay <laughs> off. There is nothing wrong with a structured, well-orchestrated business model that you just have to follow. Everything that Luke's problems are, I have it already because it's a system. It's a system that they got to bought that you buy into. You want SOPs? I got it. You want training? I got it. <laughs> My lord, you guys give it a bad name. You've been sitting on that one for a while. I got it. That's why he's been quiet for half an hour. I'm stewing. I've, I've been sitting here. I've been sitting here taking notes. Okay. <laughs> I like to learn a lot about a different type of sign shop, particularly one across the border that I know very little about. I, what I know about Luke is that he owns a sign shop and that he rides a motorcycle. That's all I know. I don't know much more than that. So I'm trying to take a deep dive into another man's perspective into what makes his shop work. That's why I'm remaining silent. But then you got to drop fast signs like that, man. I just try to get a reaction out of you. You've been sitting there playing. <laughs> I saw you switch the camera like six times. I was wondering what's going on. Since I'm on a lawsuit kick today, I wonder how long it's going to take for the fast science corporation to sue us for shitting all over them. <laughs> Slander. <laughs> yeah, I, I got no problem with fast signs. I just, I wouldn't name my company fast signs because I feel like you're just inviting the wrong type of customer. It, I, I think it depends on the type of business you want to be in and type of customers you want to serve. I mean, it, I, I think there's definitely a huge market there for quick turn signage and trade shows and storefront lettering and stuff like that. I mean, I definitely think there is. I cannot, and this is speaking from not ever having been a fast signs or, or anything like that, I just cannot imagine trying to compete in the larger electrical sign market or, or higher dollar jobs when your lead is fast turnaround because those jobs are just, they're slow. I mean, they're long-term, slow, long lead time jobs. And I just, I always have to wonder. Let me put this to bed. Okay. This is this, this episode is not a fast signs bashing episode. But let me Absolutely put this not, to no. bed. Let me put this to bed for you guys. And I'm not going to bat for fast signs. I'm a fast signs franchise owner because I believe in a systematic approach. They have a very good system. When you implement a system, whether it's a sales system, a marketing system, a lead generating system, and it all works really well together in unison, guess what you can do? You can turn signs around faster than most. Whether it's a parking sign, whether it's a printed sign or posted panel sign, it allow, having a system allows you to focus on creating a product faster than most people that are spinning their wheels in the mud. I owe Pete an apology. I apologize. That's the goal I'm trying to reach. That's the crest of the mountaintop. Fast signs is where I want to be. Peter, I have a question for I you. Try and ride their coattails. I have a question for you, Peter, because we're on the topic of beating up fast signs. And I don't mean to get us off topic, but I like this is like a legitimate question. And I'm curious does the name fast signs prime your customers for expecting unrealistic turnaround times on certain types of jobs? That's the biggest issue I have with fast signs, is actually the name of the company. It, I believe it sets up customers for unrealistic expectations, especially if they're going out to get bids on. Let's say they want to bid on a monument sign and they're going to 
two really large electrical sign companies and the fast signs, are they, is that setting them up to expect unrealistic turnaround times from other sign companies, I guess. You know what I mean? Is it- sign money, Mike, cranking up the heat. <laughs> I'm not saying that to like badmouth fast signs. I'm genuinely curious. I don't, I've always wondered that. And I don't know from, from your perspective of owning a fast signs franchise, does that create problems for you? Cause it, to me, in my mind, it seems like it would. Cause like the world that I come from, a channel letter sign is an eight to 12 week lead time period at a minimum. If you want a, a monument sign, you're looking at eight to 12 weeks. It, it, is that creating, is it creating false sense of urgency in the customer's mind? And is it devaluing what you, and I'm not talking about like vinyl store hours or parking signs, stuff like that. I'm talking about high dollar signage. Does that devalue that signage? I'm going to, okay. Let's jump in for on this one. I'm, sure. I'm going to take you, I'm going to take your side. Pile it on top. I, I really think it's just about getting people through the door. Really? You got two hypothetical sign companies, nothing about either one of them. One is called Fast Signs. The other is John's Signs or whatever. The, the awful business names that some people come up with their sign shop. Sign Tech. <laughs> hey, now. Shots fired. You know, which one are you going to pick? I can't. I, I, a fact, truth here, a fact, I created a business model called Sign Techs, which was a sign service franchise. So I don't, I actually really like the name. A little fact there about what I've done in the past. All right, let me answer your question, Mike, and, and I'm going to use Brian's analogy. Yes, from a customer's perspective, it people can resonate with the branding of a name like Fast Signs. If they know nothing about company A or company B, the name represents what people are looking for, which is a quick turnaround, very simplistic branding approach, red and blue. It's got that American feel to it, right? But from, to answer your question a little bit more deeper, listen, we, Fast Signs is known for certain type of product. In fact, the executives that might listen to this podcast would be the first to tell you that their approach is going after vinyl related signs, interior decor. That's their entire philosophy. Now. What you don't know about Fast Signs is that is that makes up a significant percentage of their stores. So all you guys that give Fast Signs a bad name, that's the model that you understand. Vinyl-related production, 1,500-square-foot building, quick turnaround, vending 30% of their, outsourcing 30% of their work. But there are a significant amount of us, I'd say less than 100 worldwide, that, or I should say not worldwide, you in the US, that manufacture just like you all do, right? So getting a monument sign, getting an awning, getting a channel letter sign, a sign cabinet made and fabricated, we do it, but do it a little bit. Again, I, I'm going to fall back on the same terminology with a bit of a more systematic approach that allows us to quote the customer faster get a mock-up done faster, schematic done faster, potentially turn that product around faster as well. So in a way, it resonates with the name, but Fast Signs in general, the franchise is built around 
systems and processes that are designed to make you run a little bit more efficiently than a typical independent sign shop owner would. Now, I'm not saying it's better or worse. What I'm saying is that when you buy into a franchise, it's because you want those things, want those items that are going to allow the owner to focus more on their business rather than on the things that are Luke here is looking to grow in. If I'm looking to grow, I just speak to my franchise coach about what's the next step to help me grow. And they're going to pave the way and point that way for me and all and other franchise owners. So this, listen, I'm not turning this into a buy a franchise episode here, but <laughs> at the end of the day, some of the issues that you have as an independent sign shop owner are solved within the franchise model. So it's Maybe systems. You guys can do take somebody clip that and trigger. I'm going to use the young kids clip that you can take that. You should be taking that to Fast Science Corporate and see if you guys can get a sponsor for the podcast. <laughs> the best Fast Sign commercials I ever heard. I don't think they'll pull that sponsorship so fast as soon as I open my mouth. If Peter can easily defend Fast Signs in the face of Sign Money Mike's attack, I mean, what better no, I, look, advertisement I, is there? Peter, I appreciate that response, and that's what I was looking for. And I honestly, like, I don't have anything against Fast Signs. I have something against my local Fast Signs, which is why I referred them all a race car. <laughs> As a whole, I don't have anything against fast signs. I'm just always curious what, how the name and the marketing around fast signs affects the perceived I think, I think it, customer. I value. think it benefits. I think it benefits the owner of having such a simple branding. Or well, sure, yeah. I mean, that's a, that people can read. But it helps us, right? If you're all, if it's all about sales, right? If it's about lead generating, then. Having a simplistic name, which customers can relate to, is a very important piece to the puzzle. We should well, bring on you... some executives on the Fast Science team yeah, to see what they yeah. think. Next episode. Oh, that'll be interesting. All right. I'm going to rein you guys in and bring this back <laughs> on topic. So we've established, Luke, it's all about systems. You need to be quoting faster, producing faster. All that. And I, from chatting with you both here today and a couple of conversations we've had in the past, you understand the need for this. Hey, we've got to systemize the business. Yep. Why aren't you there now? It doesn't seem like this is a, a brand new thing. Yeah, no, I think I'm definitely like, I've always been a systems guy and an efficiency guy. Like before I worked at the sign shop, I was an operations manager at the brick, which is a large furniture franchise chain up in Canada. And you guys got a lot of funny businesses in Canada. Funny in what way? I've never heard of a pulp business or a pulp. Or a, you don't know what pulp yeah. is? Oh, no. Pulp, pulp is where paper comes from. You need to get up on there. <laughs> when you wipe your ass later today, you can think about Canfor in Prince George. Think about Luke. Canfor <laughs> and then the brick. Sounds yeah. like some really interesting branding going on up there so, across the border. So you know what the tie-in is? He's to still the salty about the fast side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so the brick started in Edmonton, and the guy who owns the brick, his son played on the Edmonton Oilers. There's a weird tie-in, but anyways. Yeah. So anyways, I've had the systems knowledge and stuff. I've seen it, but I think probably when I said this on the mastermind calls to the groups, but. Either way, it's, I think most of us that get into the sign business are maybe like Mike, you're a designer first and foremost, or my business partner started the company, our company, because 
he was working at a sign shop, basically running the show as a manager. His boss stopped paying him and he said, you know what? I'm not getting paid anyways. Why don't I just go start my own thing? Right. And others of us are people, like you say, or said earlier, you want to make cool shit because you can make cool shit. And you're either a craftsman or a tradesperson. And I think we all, that's where for most of us, I think it originates is that's the goal is to make cool shit and hopefully make some money. Right. But none of us, or I should say the majority of us don't really understand the making money part. Right. We understand the making the cool shit part, but making money part is something you have to learn along the way. And I think it's hard to do when you're in the weeds, like it's busy and you're focused on getting the stuff done and taking care of the, and when you're putting in 12, 14, 16, 18 hour days, five, six, seven days a week, it's hard to find the time to do that. Particularly if you don't have the knowledge set or the knowledge base, like it's a really daunting task. Like it's a lot of work and I wish we had done it when we we're smaller and the scope wasn't so huge. Now that we are as big as we are, the scope of the project that we need to, the structure that we need to put in place, like it's a lot, right? And when you're just trying to take care of your customers and get the work done, it's hard to even research what you're supposed to be doing on the other side, which is the business side, right? So I think most of us are tradespeople, and that's really why a lot of shops probably find themselves stuck in, stuck in the middle of it. I agree with what you said hundred percent. Yeah. And it, it, we've, it, Peter and Michael and I have talked circles around this thing for a long time. And it, strangely enough, it, it does come back to the, like the fast signs thing where it, like a, a lot of the franchisees, fast signs is targeting people who are leaving a career in middle management or the people that, that come from the business side of things. And they're selling them, okay, hey, this is a high margin industry and hey, you can run this small business. It's all there for you. Whereas, like you said, a lot of independent owners are, they either worked at a sign shop previously for some other owner that sucked or didn't want to pay them enough. And the rest of these guys know, like the only growth, if you're the number two or number three guy in a, a small shine shop is starting your own outfit. So you, you get really good at the technical side of it, producing the size, designing stuff, putting it together. But yeah, if you worked under a, an owner who didn't have a good handle on the business side, you probably inherited some of those things as well. Yeah. Or you bought his company because he was sick of it and burnt out and unloaded his problems onto you without telling you. And then you're just perpetuating the cycle. How many shops change hands? Shops that aren't making money. A lot, a lot. There, there's a lot of turnover in the industry, right? There's always shops opening and closing and changing hands. And I think a lot of that is just rooted in the fact that people aren't making money and they don't know what to fix and they get burnt out because as a tradesperson, it's easy to focus on the trade and that's not how you make money. Well, I'll argue what you just said there, Luke. I think being a tradesperson, especially if you want to go to the next level and produce real signage, I think you need to know the trade. I think you need to be the business owner as well. And I think that's the hard part is, is wearing both of those hats. But I genuinely don't think that you can go to the next level if you're not in some way, shape or form a tradesperson, or at least put a tradesperson in an upper management role that can steer the direction of a sign company, because you've got to be a sign maker to be. Yeah. I think what I meant more so was that 
if the business piece is missing. Sure. Right. Right. You're ne you're never going to, if you don't either actively understand that you need to become a businessman, or if you're not a businessman already, like if you have no motivation to, to sort that out, you're just never going to get there. And some guys just do it naturally. They're just street smart. Right. And they're like, I don't give a fuck. I'm not going to do this sign if I'm not going to make stupid money on it. So it's just me in my shop and I'm going to charge you $5,000 for this sign. Cause that's what I want to charge you. And if you don't want to pay it, what do I care? Right. Some guys just get that. But I think a lot of us get stuck in the trap of we have to be competitive and we're new to the market. So we got to be cheaper than the other guys so we can win some business. And those are really like in hindsight, we did that right in hindsight. Those are faulty models. You can't make money that way. And ultimately you either learn to make those adjustments or you fail, right? Or you just never make money and you get burnt out and what you just said there, I think is like, it hits the nail on the head. Like the guys that know, this is what I want for it. This is how long it's going to take it or leave it. I don't care either way. Those are the ones that go to them. Every single owner of a large, successful, high dollar sign company that I know adopts that mentality. They don't care what anybody else is charging. I don't care what the guy down the street charges. I don't care how long their lead time is. This is my price. This is my lead time. This is how we work. If you don't like that, there's the door. And that is ultimately, I think, what separates the good sign company owners from the bad. It's hard to, coming from the small side of it, it's really hard to break yourself of that mentality of once you get in that habit of, hey, we got to have this job or that job. It's really hard to break yourself of that cycle, even if you're conscious of it. It's still difficult sometimes. When I was at Security Signs, I watched them, uh, an opportunity to bid on a $2 million project came through the door. Tons of signage for a big outlet mall, huge, massive, 30 by 60 EMC along the highway, the whole night. I mean, it was a monster project. It's like the type of project that makes or breaks a sign company. And they passed on the job. And it blew my mind. Like, why would you pass on a $2 million job? But they knew that there's just, they couldn't get enough for that job. I mean, they knew that to do that right, they needed to charge more. They needed more time than what the customer was willing to allot. And they just said, there's the door. We don't want your money. It blew my mind, but there's, I mean, they came out better for it. And the sign company that got the job ended up absolutely nearly going bankrupt for it because they were so excited to get the job and not have it walk out the door. So I think just being able to recognize your strengths and weaknesses and know when to walk away and know what you're worth and what your, what your true value is and what your actual value proposition to your customer is, I think is critical there. I think Pete fell asleep. <laughs> He's taking notes. Uh, oh, shit. Oh, I saw some eyebrows. My headset's dying. <laughs> yeah, I had some, at 20%. I had some gal in my ear. Low battery. Where we go from there? Peter. Yes, sir. You took 8 million notes. What do you got? Let's start with the, let's start with wrapping up with Luke's last notes there that most shops mm -hmm. are not profitable. Now, not profitable is a common issue for a lot of shops that are spending a lot of time in their business and not working on their business. This is a very common problem for sign shop owners that are, maybe they are tradesmen, maybe they are business people that do not understand the trade. It's a healthy mix of both owners, both types of owner. There's a gentleman, there's a gentleman that owns a very large shop here, right across the bridge here in New Jersey for me. And he has a very sizable operation and he talks to me all the time about wanting to be more profitable, but that requires him to lock the door and focus in on how to do that. What 
pivotal decision does your business tell you that allows you to maximize and make a more profitable decision or more profitable business in the future? Whereas there are other owners that who I bring, I'm not going to mention this person by name, but we just got out of a consultation call and he's wearing, he doesn't understand marketing. He doesn't understand the website and they get a bunch of orders, but they're only doing $20,000 in sales a month. And he wants to figure out how to do more and needs somebody to basically turn the key and make it happen, make it happen for him. So there's various different levels of what that looks like. And usually a, an owner that in my estimation, an owner that could step away from his business and focus on picking it apart, maximizing on its, on its abilities, putting people in the right seats to gain that traction are going to be a profitable entity. They're going to be a profitable business. They're going to be a scalable business and they're going to be a business where there's going to be a decent exit strategy. And I'd be interested to ask Luke this question. I'm going to ask Luke this question it's from the company that you acquired. Okay. What was their, I'm going to ask this question the right way. What type of company were they? What were their issues? What were their weaknesses that you identified in that acquisition? They have even had less systems than we did. The entire staff was very much leashed to one individual. Were they profitable? No. Not profitable. And from what you said earlier, they came to you and said, would you like to buy us? So they solicited yeah. you to, for their exit strategy. Like we're done. It's not working out. Save us. That's basically what they said to you. Essentially. So there's more going on there. Basically the previous owner was basically running the shop, but was was trying to figure out a word this in such a way that I don't mess up an NDA. Okay. Yeah. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. But what I'm getting at is this. Basically there was a body that wanted out, right? And so the mandate was, if you want out, then you need to find a buyer. Understood. Understood. And you can leave it at that. I'm not trying to put you in any contractual damage here, but what I'm trying to get, the point that I'm trying to make here is that you had in your own experience, a sign shop, uh, what you identified as a big competitor for you. Yeah. Did not have a systematic approach and also was not profitable and also had no exit strategy Correct. other than to poach you. So there you have it. That to me, that is the point I'm trying to make is that if you want to be a profitable entity, if you want to be a profitable sign shop, if you're out there and you're listening and you're not profitable, it starts with identifying that you need systems in place that can keep you, that can keep you out of your business. If you're the Chuck in the truck, if you're the gentleman that's making signs, installing signs, okay, <clears throat> stop what you're doing. You're doing it wrong. You need to spend time being an owner. Take it from me. Scalability and growth didn't happen until I was able to step away, make pivotal, pivotal growth decisions that will allow you to be an owner, not a graphic designer, a project manager, a salesperson. You are an owner. Now, you may have came into this business as a tradesperson, but the moment you incorporated your business, you became a business owner. 
That's my two cents. I think that's well said, Mitt. You've got to turn off the tradesman side and go into business owner mode to make any real progress. Yeah, man. And listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say one thing here that I think I, I don't think I've ever said on another episode. So I got into this business because my father, who owns a bagel store, purchased window graphics from a local vinyl shop for one window. He spent seven hundred dollars. My father approached me and said, Pete, this is a profitable business with explosive profit margins that you could use your design skills in. And that was the beginning to why I got into this business. And you can understand that I relate to Luke. I would, I came into it as a tradesman. Like I had to learn the business, but I was a graphic designer. But the moment I incorporated my business and put my name on a certificate of business authority, I became a business owner. I became a shareholder of my corporation. And now that is a that became a living, a breathing organism that has to be fed. You have to treat it like a human. You have to treat it with respect. You have to pay attention to what it's telling you. Not it, yeah, making fancy signs are fun, and it really is what makes this business a great business to be in. But at the end of the day, you need customers to make fancy signs. And customers are what pay the bills, and you have to grow that living and breathing organism. Yeah, you know, I'll just say it's we've already come to that realization, and I've like in the last month or so, I, I fully pulled myself out of quoting, which is the big like technician or tradesperson role I was still fulfilling in order to start building all that stuff. And I'm excited to see like what we can do to make the shift and get the structure in place and just be working on the bigger picture. Oh no. Oh no. Didn't tell me that didn't just tell me that didn't just happen. <laughs> Luke down. Luke is down. He's gone. Let's try and get Luke back on the line. Hey, guy behind the glass, let's get Luke back on the phone here. The fast science fails. We know Luke, if you're listening, please dial 1-800-567-1234. Me, here, you, there. We got a future at radio. <clears throat> he does. Yeah, I'm just, I think he missed his calling. Oh, he's, I'm just quote, I'm quoting some old radio hosts. Hi, you've reached the schmooze. Me, here, you, there. Welcome to WFAN Sports Radio. I'm all good. Should okay, be fine cool. there. Yeah. Anyway, so I think what I was going to say is that uh, I've known all this information for 10 years, right? But you're just caught in the weeds. You really are, right? And it's hard to pull yourself away when you just feel like you're obligated to do to do the work in the moment, right? So I have pulled myself away completely from the tradesperson role. Now I was doing a lot of quoting and kind of the architectural wayfinding new builds type jobs is what I was doing. And I stopped doing that a month ago. And I'm excited that what I'm working on now is the stuff that I've known that I've supposed to be working on for a decade. So it's, it's tough. Everything's like I said to my business partner, like the bad news is everything's fucked up. But the good news is that everything's fucked up and we know how to fix a lot of it. <laughs> it's just a matter of fixing it, right? And we can make 
a lot of that Kaizen, small incremental change, and we'll see drastic change and improvement, right? So it's, I don't want to give the impression where like we're in trouble as a company because that's not the case. It's just, you guys all know what it feels like to be in a shop where you're just, there's more work than you can keep up with, right? And, and so I'm excited to be actually functioning in that business owner role, even though it's just started and we haven't seen the fruits of the efforts quite yet, but to just be actually doing that and doing that full-time even, because I know a lot of time they recommend, oh, just put two hours a day aside, right? But I'm like, we're at the point where like, I have to, me and Travis, like we have to get a lot of this stuff sorted out and to be focusing on that 100% of the time, like it's exciting. Yeah, we're definitely stoked for you. And uh, yeah, I, hey, that's part of the, that's really the biggest piece of it is just making the decision and sitting down and actually doing that. For anybody that's actually going to listen to this one, what was the impetus or like, how did you do that? I, I feel like a lot of people, they understand they need to work on systems and it's like, hey, if we just do this, then we could get that done. I think honestly, the biggest piece, I think the biggest piece that allowed me to step away completely is to really, truly, fully understand that it doesn't need to be me. Have some humility and understand. I think a lot of us are like, I know this, I can do it better than somebody else that I hire, so I should do it, right? But I think really that's not true. It's a lie we tell ourselves to continue to stay in our comfort zone and do what we know as opposed to pushing ourselves and really addressing the larger issues at hand. So having a little bit of humility and maybe just diving into fear of the unknown and just saying, you know what, it doesn't need to be me that builds this quote. It doesn't need to be me that does this layout. I don't need to be the person that needs to go into this room and mount the sign because the customer is waiting for it, right? Other people can do those things and it doesn't need to be you. That's the biggest, uh, I think, realization or tipping point of a sign shop owner is that your business is still your business if you're not the guy doing the stuff, right? And your customers still, I think, recognize that as well. That's huge. Very well said. I hope that some of our listeners out there can understand the severity and boldness of that statement. That you're in the weeds, you're in the mud, you can, you continue to forget about building your business, but you have to know that's the end game. You have to get there. Right. And I appreciate that statement. I appreciate the honesty, Luke. That was a very, I resonate with that statement. So I hope that our listeners do as well. Yeah. All right, guys. Luke, been a pleasure having you on, man. I think two, three, four months from now, whenever you guys are further down the line, maybe we have you back and talk about what you've you figured out over the last couple of months. Sounds good to me. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Luke. Right. Thanks, cool. Yeah, okay. This was a great conversation, guys. Okay. All right, guys. So let's bring this one to a close. Let's wrap it up. Peter, rapid fire. Didn't we do that last time? What's your one quick takeaway from today? Rapid fire. Rapid. (laughs) (laughs) Not so rapid. Mike, what's what's your one takeaway from today? My one takeaway from today is you got to abandon ship when you want to be a business owner or at least abandon the the technician mentality when you want to take your business to the next level or maybe not fully abandon it but at least give it equal space with the business ownership mentality and figure out how to let your 
technical side complement the business owner side and vice versa. And if you don't have it and need to be the business owner, find somebody who can and pay them to do it for you. That's a good point. It doesn't have to be you. As Luke it doesn't have to be you. Absolutely not. It just has to be somebody. I agree 100%. I think it, one of the biggest takeaways for me today is basically getting space for yourself from the business, not only just away from that technician, that tradesman personality, but also just a, to get a, a good visual of where you want to go. Because it, it, especially in this time, you know, everybody's gone through COVID. It's hard to find good people. You don't have to have a $20 million shop or a $10 million shop or a $5 million shop to be successful. It's more about finding the ideal shop for you. What works for you? We've got a couple of the guys in our mastermind group, which if you would like to join, please check out our website, bettersignshop.com. You'll find it on the website there. But we've got several guys in the mastermind group that have just jettisoned all their equipment, all their production team, and are now just doing outsourcing. And it was a lifestyle decision. So I think it, one of the most important things you could do as a owner of a sign shop is get some space from it, whether that's taking a vacation that doesn't involve a trade show or being tethered to Wi-Fi on a beach somewhere while you're answering emails and give yourself that space to figure out what you really want. And don't lose sight of what you really want either. I mean, we all get into this because we want something and it's usually a better life than what we would have by working for somebody else. Don't lose sight of that goal. I know a lot of people do. I lost sight of that goal myself and it's hard to hard to get back on track if you forget that ultimately you're doing this for you and your family to, to achieve a better life than the alternative. Forget that. Rapid fire takeaway, Peter, go. Systems, systems, and systems. You need systems in order to grow and scale your business. If you don't know what systems are or what systems you want to input into your business, get in touch with us. We'll take a quick look at what you can do and we'll tell you which systems you need to implement into your company. All right. If you guys have questions for the crusty side guys on the show, you can email us at hey at bettersignshop.com and we will address your questions on the air. Or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, how do we do that? If you would like to be a guest on the show, make sure you shoot us an email. We will contact you. We'll talk to you. We'll have you on. Pleasure, guys. All right, it's guys. real. Bye, guys. Thanks. See ya. If you liked this episode, make sure you hit subscribe to get all the latest episodes. And check out our website, bettersignshop.com. Get free resources and helpful tools on growing your shop. Thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.